Welcome to Masters of Business, a show that gives you real-world techniques, cutting-edge strategies, and extraordinary insights for managers and leaders who want to develop the business acumen needed to go faster and farther in their business careers. Now, here's the master himself, Stephen Haynes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Stephen Haynes for Masters of Business. Um, as most of you know, um, I've created this show to guide business people on their journey to leadership success by leveraging the core constructs of business acumen, which, by the way, are available in something we call the business acumen canvas. That canvas is a visualization or a visual tool that you can download on the business acumen website, business-acumen.com. This podcast is available through whatever podcast channels you like to listen to and as a vidcast through YouTube. So um, today I will be speaking with Deb Lorenzen, who I've known forever. Um, you have even said, I think we're like twin children from different mothers or something like that. I, something like Definitely that. different, different parentage there, but something absolutely. Happened. And you're a lot taller and you're a lot taller than I am. So, um, but, but we've known each other for a long time. Um, she used to live in and around New York city, but doesn't anymore. Um, so she left me anyway. Um, I, I, really deeply respect your approach to um, leadership and business acumen and stuff like that. You are the head of data governance for a big bank. I'm not allowed to say the bank's name um, to protect the innocent. You are the chair, chair you're on the, on the chairman of a board of a $2 billion. Can I say regional bank? It's a national bank. It's a national bank. So um, I, I deeply respect that. And I admire that. And um you're an advisory board for a global female leader network, which I think is outstanding. And you teach an MBA class on how to drive strategic change in major institutions. Holy smokes. I'm tired already. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, you. So let's just to get started, as I do in many of these shows, um, everybody traverses their career in a certain way. We learn, we fall down, we get up, whatever. Um, tell us a little bit about your career journey, a little bit about your building of your business acumen as a leader, and just, just to share with, um, you know, what's what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. I'm always delighted to do anything that your, your name is on. Um, it's always Thanks. valuable um, and value for money. So from a career perspective, um, I I I'm I just have a bit of the gray here, right? So I'm not young in my career necessarily. Yes, we share that trait, um, and and that's to say that when I was coming into global finance, which is where I made my career, all the avenues weren't necessarily open. Um, there was a little bit of gender challenge in there, and so um, I started off my career. And you always have to know what you want, right? And once you know what you want, the rest is just logistics, right? It might be hard logistics, but the rest is just logistics. And so I started off my career thinking that I wanted to be the um, CEO of a major financial institution. So just a little goal, right? Um, but I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't have a dad who worked in you know major finance, so I didn't really know the pathway. So I just dove in, right? And every time I hit a block, um, I would turn left or turn right. Um, and I also had the idea... Uh, which is why I should say that when I get introduced at panels and at conferences and things, people often say I have a non-standard career path, right? And it's non-standard because I had to turn or shift or go somewhere else. 
But I knew that to be the CEO of a major financial institution, and whether I get there or not, it's a different story, but that's fine. If that's what my goal was, I knew I needed to have a bunch of things. Like my gut told me I needed to know about financials, obviously, right? I needed to know about products and how you sell them. I needed to know about client service and customers. I needed to know about the operations of the business. Like just about every business on the planet has four or five main groups to it. And it doesn't matter if you're selling candy bars or if you're selling financial institutions products, right? You still have these same major areas. And I wanted to work in each one of them. So in my career, making it non-standard, I sort of made my way through each of those, those main areas. That seems to be some some you know typical tracks of people you know with whom I speak um, in this show. It's they they understand you have to do different jobs. Um, it's almost like you know you go into rotations. But one of the things that is really interesting about what you said is you have to know what you want. And I know we didn't talk about this topic at all, but sometimes there are people who don't. Yeah. They they maybe have sort of a vague idea of where they think they want to go. Um, I will give you a great example of myself. I had seven jobs in the first 12 years of my career because I was just trying to figure it out. I, I thought I wanted to be a corporate controller, um, but I, I ended up moving into product management. What, what the heck was that about, right? Yeah. Can you talk to yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So so part of this, and and... I ended up working in a, in a field called global custody, like for, for much of my life. Right. And global custody, when I first got offered a job in the group, I thought maybe it had something to do with handcuffs, right? Cause custody is like, you know, putting somebody into custody. I didn't know. And the thing is, none of us know what we don't know when we're coming up. Right. So what you can do, because you have to figure out some way to start on the path is you can kind of decide the big buckets. Do I want to put on a suit or do I want to be outside? Or do like, those are some of the starters. Do I, do I like, like, am I energized? This sort of old Myers-Briggs kind of stuff, right? And I'm not saying, and I'm a proponent necessarily that one or disc or any other things, but you got to know about yourself, right? Do I want to sit and look at spreadsheets all day and like try to analyze data? Some people are totally jazzed about that. Some people really want to be in a crowd talking to people, right? So you figure out the things that you like to do. You figure out how the, do I want to wear a suit or do I want to be outside? You want to do them. And then you find a place that's like that and then get started. And if it's awful, stop. I see people all the time who come and they're miserable and they, and I say things to them like, well, then stop and go do something else. And it's super scary, especially the further you get along in your career and you own the house and you got the kids and you got all that other stuff, but it doesn't matter. Stop. Because if you close that door, then you can actually see the other doors. I, I was, as, as you were speaking there, there's another, there are two more dimensions that I think are important. Um, people have different working styles. Some people like tasks. They think maybe in a more linear way. They like some predictability. I do this, 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 and this, and they're comfortable in that. Um, and then there are people who thrive on the sort of the amorphous, making something out of nothing. I happen to be schizophrenic and I do both, right? I guess that's why I was a good, good product. But how it's interesting, how do people reconcile these things, you know, and really face, to, face the idea that 
maybe I really should do things that I'm better at than not. Like people get into this idea, they get these romantic ideas of a kind of a thing that they want to do and they aim for something, but it may not be realistic. Yeah. I may never be the CEO of a major financial institution, but that's okay because along the way you find, you you find things that give you joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think that's the end. The reason I say to go after things that you like, right? Like if you like interacting with people, maybe go try sales or try the client service end of it, right? That doesn't mean you have to be in client service, but you will be so much lighter if the thing that you choose to do for your life is made up of the characteristics of things that you enjoy doing. Um, So yeah, I think you just have to, you have to figure out yourself a little bit first um, and then try. It is, you know, when you and I started our careers, you really were meant to go to the company and stay there for a really, really, really long time. That's what I that's, thought, yeah. That's just not the case. Yeah, what we all thought, right? It didn't work out that way. But, but that's not the case at all anymore. So that like try before you necessarily buy or stay there for 100 years thing is it, you just don't have to do it anymore. Go try it. If you hate it, move on, Right. It sort of reminds me, I know I want to have a, a conversation about strategy. So my lead in is it's sort of like a person needs sort of a career strategy and to have a strategy you sort of need to back into a goal. And when you want to back into a goal, you have to figure out where, where am I good, where am I not so good, you know, who's going to come and get my stuff and what should I go do about it? So those constructs of strategic planning apply to oneself, right? Yeah. But in a former conversation, we did talk about um, strategic planning. But, oh, by the way, shameless plug, I, I just finished a manuscript on another mini book. My first mini book was how to create a business case. This one's how to create a winning strategy. So when it comes out like in a month or something like that, and, and somebody listening to this a year from now are going to go, what? It's been out for a while. Anyway, regardless of that. Um, so we we were talking about strategy and execution. And as I was writing this, I kept on reading all these different articles. I've never seen so much debate on, on a topic that is that people are presenting as paradoxical. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you, you can't do one without the other. So why do people have to debate one versus the other? Do you have any thoughts on this, this thing? Uh, about whether, wait, about what specifically? We were talking about, about um, strategy and execution. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I have to look at yeah. that. It's it's a little bit strategy and execution is a little bit like figuring out what do I want to do and then how do I want to go and do it, right? The strategy and if you do need both, right? You can have the best strategy in the world, and if there's no one around who's going to say, okay, to get there, here's my di- distance between A and B, and here's the 17 steps, and here's my critical path. That's a concept a lot of people miss out on. I run major programs in large financial institutions, global programs in large financial institutions, right? And so to pull off any of these ginormous things that we do, there's a lot of stuff on the project plan. I mean, think about launching a new product, right? You got to figure out what it is. You got to design it. You got to build it. You got to figure out your production line. You got to launch. There's a lot in there. All of the things aren't the same, though. Like. If I don't do one of those things, my product will still get to the market. One of the other things, definitely. You got to understand dependencies, right? So when I'm making my strategy, 
I don't have to worry so much about all of those things and how they fit together. I just have to say, it's more, where do I want it? Why do I want this firm to be in two years time? Where do I want? And then the execution is all about what's my critical path. Do I understand the difference between the responsibility and authority of people on that critical path? Because that's also a concept that's a little bit of a pet peeve for me. There, I've a million times someone has come to me and asked me to take responsibility for something for which I did not have the authority to pull off. And you have to watch for those in your career because if you don't, you have to know who has the authority. And if they agree with you and want you to do it, then go for it. If you don't even know who they are, <laughs> run for your life. You know, that's a really interesting, you know, it's almost like I was thinking about the whole like racy analysis thing, which I, I am really like an anti-racy person, even though people love racy. Like who's supposed to do what with whom and when? It goes back, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just back up to, for two seconds because you were talking, when we're talking about execution, you know, the strategy is linked to the execution. If you can't figure out, number one, it's almost like, can you figure out the business case for the initiative and then can you put the initiative into action and then then you go down the line and say well will people do it right does people know how to do what with whom and when for what purpose and keep track of things and that's really the, the road to execution is really simple to my way of thinking but people screw it up all the time yeah and it's because they're missing the am i supposed to do that why don't people do what they're supposed to do. Why don't people assume the response? The R is next to their name. Why don't they do it? And, and I, I like yourself. I'm not a fan of the racy. I think it's a static document that someone makes up and then no one ever looks at again, right? What I do care about passionately though is who has the R? Do they know they have the R? Mm-hmm. Are they empowered to have the R? So you know, the, the simplest example in a big company is I want you to go out and, and build a new team of, you know, five people to go and do this thing. And you say, great, do I have the racks right open to be able to do that? No, there's a process, but we'll, we'll, we'll sort that out and the process and the process and the pro- and you never get the racks. Right. But I'm still on the hook for in- getting accomplished what that team that doesn't exist <laughs> because we were stuck in some HR process is meant to do. That's not fair, right? And as a company, if you want your strategy to be successful, you got to make sure the execution pieces are are linked appropriately to the strategy and the people who you give responsibility or uh, to stuff have the authority to get it done. When you talk about that um, responsibility, I, there's one thing I've I was having a conversation with this with a person yesterday about this. Sometimes the person who's got the R doesn't know how either to do the R or doesn't know how to integrate that additional or incremental work into the stuff they currently have to do. And people who don't recognize it or don't know how to communicate, they keep it in, um, they ultimately get found out. Yeah. How, how can we fix that? How can we fix that? It's, 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 it goes back to the thing I said at the beginning, you gotta know what you want. And once you know what you want, then you just start, you know, as, as project executors, when we're executing on stuff, we write it down and we show it up every week. And if the person's like caught in their little, you know, hole, 
not worried about the thing, it turns up on the dashboard, right? And then everybody gets to see it there. And then someone shakes the guy's train or he goes red. And then the responsibility gets shifted to someone who can accomplish the task. I do think that there's some leadership responsibility there, because if you're going to assign the R, then you need to make sure that that person. Absolutely. And yeah. That, yeah. And all the people who are supposed to work together can actually do the work together. Yeah. Whether or not they like each other, they don't have to like each other, right? We're trying to get something accomplished in the workplace. No, but you know, this, even in, you know, that canvas I met, I, rec- I uh, talked about in the beginning, it's, yeah. it's about p- those relationships that you have to build with people, both inside and outside the company. Um, but I, w- I want to go to another thing, because I want to try to hit as many of our agenda items as we can. Um, so we talked about this world that we've been living in, and there are some observations that you had, both in the in an in-person, normal working environment, and in sort of the two-dimensional, no Zoom or, or web meeting environment, and about how you sort of draw conversate or draw opinion from people, how people participate, how you facilitate these conversations. You used a term about, I think you called it diversity of thought or something like that. And I was taken by what it was that you were explaining. And if you can remember what we were talking about, can you share it with our folks? Yeah, I'm so passionate about the diversity of thought piece. Um, we can get caught up in, in the diversity and inclusion stuff around trying to make sure we have one of each one. Mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily what we're looking for. What you need in a, like, imagine a, imagine a product launch. That's a simple example, right? Simple, <laughs> simple to understand example, right? I, I'm launching a product. And so I need to have in the room, the people who can look at that problem that we have to be able to effectively launch this product from a bunch of different lenses. I need someone in the room and I don't care what they look like and I don't care the right, but I need someone in the room who understands the target market and can represent the actual buyers because they're the kind of person that would buy that product. I need someone who represents um, operations, who's going to create the product. I need someone who understands marketing from market. I need to get all those people together and then the, the, one of the things that I like most about the Zoom world is that everybody's the same size. We're all the same size on the screen. We all have our little box, right? Nobody's got a bigger share of voice than anyone else. And when I just get down to my team, my tight team, who's actually going to make this product launch, I need to make sure that I've heard from all those people. And hearing from all those people means that I have to know and I have to think about how to hear from all of them. What I mean is you and I will will sit in a great conversation together and we will talk over each other and we'll get louder and we'll, we'll have fun and we'll be animated and all the rest of it. And you and I could go in the room and decide with four other people sitting watching us, we could decide exactly how to do something and we could say, perfect, we're in charge and off we go again, right? Having never heard a word from the other people in the room. I have a close friend of mine who is the analyst's analyst. And I learned over time that if I go and pull him into a whiteboard session and I throw stuff on the wall and then I go, isn't this great? Shall we do it? He'll actually just get up and leave (laughs) because he's not gonna give me the instant feedback that I want, the instant gratification. What What he will do is he will go away 
And if I leave him, I give him all the information about what I want to do. And then I leave him alone overnight or for two nights, he will come back with the best insight. And that will make my product launch, my pro- whatever I'm trying to cut that much better. So it's not just that we have to get the diversity of thought in the room. We have to stop and time, give it time enough to hear what they're telling us uh, in response. That's diversity for sure. That's, that, that's amazing. And I, and I think when, when we spoke about that maybe a month or so ago, um, it really got me thinking about even how I facilitate and because you know, I have to do workshops in, in Zoom and, I, and all of that. And how do I bring somebody out? Like sometimes people will want to hide, like they won't put their cameras on or things like that. And it really got me thinking in some of the workshops I've done, how to bring that about both in, in like in a, almost in a non-threatening way. I don't want to be, you know, I'm sort of aggressive about it, but somebody doesn't want to be aggressed, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. They, they, they want to have the time to think about that. And I will come back to somebody else. So you, I mean, I learned that, that was really um, an impactful learning for me. And I'm really glad that you, you shared that with me, but I also, you know, as we sort of go toward the, um, to the conclusion of this, um, I, I would love if you could share some of your other secrets about um, your development um, as a leader and what you could recommend for people. I mean, beyond they know what you want um, things, what, what could people do to raise the bar on their own business acumen and leadership skills? Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think you have to be a lifelong learner. Mm. Um, there years ago, you were meant to go to college and get your degree and stand on that degree for the next 40 years. And that was going to work out. Right. That's not going to work out in today's environment. It's just not. The world turns too fast uh, to be able to do that. If you are curious in nature, then follow your curiosity, right? Um, Watch Stephen's webinars because they're actually really good. But in my lifetime, I have, you know, I went and got my undergraduate and then I waited 10 years or so. And then I went and got the MBA and I go to those one week wonder classes that you can take at, you know, Harvard or every school does them, right? And I go to the product management workshops and I go, I, I, I'm always learning and it doesn't actually have to be just learning things. I mean, you see on my bookshelf, I'm a, I'm a reader. I just can't not read. And I read all the time because it gives me new ideas and new ways to think about something. Um, the other thing is early in my career, and if you haven't done this yet in your own career, this, there's never too late to do this. I spent a lot of time trying to understand people, how they come at challenges, how they share information, and how we can, how we can hear the various viewpoints that they have, right? And once you start to understand and you can build in your own toolkit a set of tactics to make sure that you've heard from everybody, then you are automatically a lifelong learner. Because all those other people on your project, on your product team, on your management team, you're learning from them all the time, right? It takes village to do any of this stuff, this big stuff, right? So if you can just keep your, you know, that. And the very last thing I would say is you have to know why your company is here and what makes it make money. And if that aligns with your values and your interests and your things that you care about, perfect. If that company doesn't, the way they make their money and the things that they do for the world doesn't align with what you really, go find a company that does, right? 
I, I remember, um, you know, there, there are a couple of things you said that I think are really important. Um, I have always um, been a student of business I, since I was a kid, right? It was just, it's, you know, I just curious about what, what are other people doing? I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how to triangulate, how to whatever. I mean, business school gave me some of the, you know, maybe some, some fine tuning of the tools, if you will. Um, you talk about this curiosity. You've got to know it. And I... Listen, I am in a really fortunate position, and you know, having trained tens of thousands of people over you know twenty years, everybody, every client is a learning lab, right? I'm always doing. This is why I write. You know, you're an avid reader. I'm a reader, researcher, and a writer. And why? Because I I figure, well, how can I help somebody understand something in a simpler, more accessible way? It's why why did I start teaching when I started, you know, a part-time teacher in a college, you know, a bunch of years ago? Because I thought I could reach people in a different way. And I think, but that's part of my mission, if you will. But I think other people have to have sort of a personal mission of self-improvement, of exploring the curiosity, of acting on things, not sitting, you know, I don't, I, I encourage people who want to lead not to sit back right? But to really take the controls as necessary and push the boundaries that, that are, are, you know, whatever they may think of as traditional or, or things that may hold them back. Because if you don't, how are you going to know where the edges really are? Yeah, that's, that's actually such a great um, way to tie a knot against around this, this conversation is every single person listening to this should take their own shackles off. Mm -hmm. Right. We stop ourselves from way more things than anybody else does. We um, when my husband and I got married, he lived in Europe and I lived in the U.S. And so we were like, huh, well, that's a problem. (laughs) So we said, well, what should we do? Well, we'll move to England because halfway is actually in the ocean. And so England's an island. Right. So we'll, we'll go to England. Right. We didn't have any plan to do that. We didn't have any practical. We just said. We're going to do that one. And then the, the rest was logistics, right? They were hard logistics. Like there was stuff you had to do. Neither of us had ever lived in England before, right? But until, you, until you've taken your own, that seemed like such a, what do they call them? B-hags, right? From business school. Big yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah. yes. <laughs> if, if you're willing to let yourself say, I'm going to move to England, <laughs> you yeah. know, if you've never lived there before, then you're willing to, to at least give yourself a chance. Take yep. the shackles off. Stop stopping yourself from yeah. doing the things. And then you can get a lot farther. I think and people, it'll be fun. Yeah, I think people should trust some of their, number one, recognize their motivation, trust yeah. it, and let loose. All right? Yeah. I, I'm a late-in-life entrepreneur. I Sometimes I beat myself, you know, my rearview mirror blindness. Like, I should have, should have, should have. But I did when I did, you know? I and I, because... You know, whatever I had to do, I had to sort of therapeutize my t- myself past those barriers to get there. My mom knew this when I was a teenager. You know, she just never understood why I didn't do it sooner. Um, but it's because I, I wasn't ready. But if I, if I, you know, if people like you and I can encourage people to think beyond those things, maybe, maybe they'll get to that place a couple of years sooner than they might have done if they just sat back, you know? I'll tell you about my last word on this one. I promise it's short, but almost my very first job in banking, I came into this group of, of four people who did um, help desk kind of stuff. And it was figuring out customer queries, right? And 
I sat down and my brand new boss who had just met me like a couple of weeks before in an interview process said, oh, I made you a temporary password and you'll have to go in and change it right away. And I said, super. And she said, I said, what's the password? And she said, it's G-O-G-E-T-T-E-R. And I sat there for a while going, go-go-getter, go-go-getter. <laughs> And she's, she looked at me like I was dumb and she said, go get her, right? Like a go get her. <laughs> and so, so they could see then that I really was going to try here. And it took me a while to learn what she saw when I was like 22 years old. You know, sometimes we don't get to see ourselves and we rely on other people. And I was talking to some guy yesterday about um, mentors and finding them and having helpers and stuff like that. All of these things are critical. You know, and it also, even in the context of this podcast and how it is evolving as people, if people continue to listen to these episodes, they're going to start to see some themes in terms of um, personal slash professional responsibility or accountability to oneself, being aware of some of the different piece parts. Um, you know, it's it's like, if you look at traditional leadership development programs that, you know, the, from the big consulting firms, they all say the same thing and all blah, 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 blah. But what we need practical ways to navigate a career and not everybody follows the same path, but the similar mindset I think is important. And that's, I think all also that, that thing that I call business acumen is there sort of these built up experiences and skills and behaviors that a person gets so that until they get it, right? I still, I'm trying to figure out when to get it, just FYI. <laughs> You're almost there, Stephen, almost there. I know. Anyway, so um, we have to be done now, but um, I want to thank you for these extraordinary insights. Um, I learn from you all the time um, and I will never stop learning from you. I think you're one of my favorite people on the entire planet. So thank you for doing this. Indeed. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Always. And uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, in doing the rest of your podcast. This is Thanks. awesome. So everybody, so thank you for joining us on Masters of Business. Um, tune in again on your favorite podcast channels, um, on the video. Um, tell your friends, please. Um, and tune in next time for another edition of Masters of Business. I'm Stephen Haynes. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Masters of Business with Stephen Haynes, a podcast that captures the ideas and lessons learned from thinkers and leaders in business. If you'd like to take your company to the next level, consider the courses and books from the Business Acumen Institute. To learn more, go to business-acumen.com.